Ford, Dick's Sporting Goods, Toys R Us, Mech, and BMW. Lots of good stuff on this week's episode. Welcome to this week's episode of News Entrepreneurs Experience. This is my weekly podcast where I elaborate a little bit on some of the blog posts that I've made over the past week uh, regarding recent headlines making their way through the business marketplace that I end up putting a entrepreneurial spin on. And the reason I do that is because in my experience over the last couple of decades, Entrepreneurs tend to be very much in their own head all the time. And so because I spend so much time giving entrepreneurs examples of what other companies are doing, I decided to make it official and do a weekly podcast where I grab uh, some of the headlines that I saw, figure out what the business, the CEO, or the entrepreneur was wrestling with or struggling with, and I try to put a spin on it so that it can be rele- relevant for an entrepreneur running their small or medium-sized business today. Uh, my goal is to help an entrepreneur fix, fund, or grow their business, and this podcast is one way to give you a little bit of knowledge give you a little bit of context, and maybe help you sort through some of the problems that you're having in your business, or take advantage of some of the opportunities that are right in front of you. So the first article that I ended up publishing here about a week ago uh, was about Ford. And there was this great headline that I had seen about how much money Ford has in the bank. And so I decided to um, take that and try to bring it down, you know, bring that story down to a level where it related to entrepreneurs. And so just as a backdrop, the the news headline um, or the news story that made its way around was that even though Ford's got all this money in the bank, uh, they really are trying to figure out how to use it properly to make sure that they survive the next several years. So the article went on to talk about how Ford is restructuring their Europe and South American marketplaces. That's going to cost $7 billion. Ford's going to use $11 billion of cash to invest in electric and autonomous vehicles. So it's got to make sure uh, it has money for that. Plus, it also needs to make sure it has enough money to ride out the next recession. And so if you're paying attention to the news, um, I'm not an economist. I don't pretend to be. But, you know, we've had a pretty good market here for quite some time. And I don't think it's unreasonable to think that a recession is coming or is around the corner. And so Ford needs a a bunch of cash to make sure that they can make it through that. And uh, what that led me to talk about or to bring to the attention of you, the entrepreneur, is um, that entrepreneurs, I find, tend not to, first of all, certainly don't plan their cash. Um, I think that a lot of entrepreneurs don't really understand how cash moves in and out of their business. Um, You know, the difference between uh, you know, paying their bills today, but getting paid from customers tomorrow, and what effect does that have on being able to cover payroll? And so, I think entrepreneurs generally treat cash in a very um, passive manner. And so, uh, in the article that or the blog post that I'd made, I had alluded to the fact that if there's cash in the bank, then the business must be doing well, and if there's no cash in the bank, then the business must be having a tough time. And that's really as difficult as entrepreneurs make it on themselves. 
in terms of understanding what cash is doing in their business. And so cash, like anything, um, should be measured against a business plan. And you, the entrepreneur, should be maximizing the results that you're getting from the cash uh, in your business. But it does start with understanding how your business uses cash. And you should have um, a pretty straightforward understanding of, you know, I think in past uh, either blog posts or podcasts, I've talked about a smaller, medium-sized business sort of allocating its cash on a week-over-week basis. And that's certainly uh, an exercise that I do with the businesses that I'm involved in, and our businesses will... Uh, Every Monday, we prepare uh, a summary for the week of expected expenses, expected revenue, and uh, how we're going to fund the deficit. We do it on a week-to-week basis because the businesses that I'm involved in uh, have enough sort of moving parts and enough volume that that it merits doing it week to week, but uh, even doing it uh, every other week uh, or once a month is important depending on kind of what your your business, uh, how busy your business is. But the point is that uh, cash like people or like a photocopier or computer is a resource and you need to know how to use it. And so even if you're a big company like Ford, you got, you know, a huge amount of cash sitting in the bank. Um, you already understand where that cash is going and what you're doing with it. And I think that entrepreneurs could benefit by taking some time to understand the cash flow in their business, how it works. Um, But like anything, being able to make very good decisions about how to use the cash uh, in their business and really actively manage that cash. And, uh, you know, I kind of have a bit of a philosophy on this, which I might save for another uh, podcast. But It seemed to me that if you're an entrepreneur running a business and you've got either cash in the bank and you think that's a good thing, but you don't really know what the cash is going to be used for, then that's a bad thing. If you're running a business, you got no cash in the bank, then that's a bad thing. But if you stop to understand how cash moves through your business, that maybe uh, you'd be able to figure out where the challenges are and what you need to be doing in order to, to shore that up. And so not to take it lightly. Cash flow management, um, can be a really tricky exercise because it does, it does, um, it does require that you take some time to understand aspects of your business that you don't kind of run into every day. But it's also really important if you're trying to fix your business to understand which creditors, which suppliers you can afford to pay and when, uh, notwithstanding you're going to have terms with them based on you know the money coming in the door, how does it go out the door. Um, but if your business, if you're not trying to fix your business, you're simply just trying to grow your business, then understanding how to leverage cash to get a better result than what you're getting now is really important as well. So I thought that was an interesting article that even though Ford is this massive company that they notwithstanding you got a bunch of cash in the bank, they still have to be thinking as far out as, you know, the next couple of years and a potential recession and understanding how they're going to be able to use their cash to, um, um, to support, uh, their business. Um, so then the next article that, that I tripped upon, uh, was about Dick's sporting goods. And, uh, I just thought it was interesting for for a couple of reasons, primarily um, uh, uh, because they had announced their Q3 results, um, their quarter three results, and the market, their publicly traded stock. And so, um, you know, the stock market, you know, is pretty notorious for giving companies really hard deadlines um, to hit. And what Dick's uh, Sporting Goods was able to do is that um, they had such a good quarter uh, 13% growth, um, which is, you know, these guys are, this is a billion, you know, billion dollar business. It's pretty hard to do, but they ended up increasing the goals they were going to hit by the year. Now, just to put that in perspective, most public companies go light 
on their expectations with investors. So they don't look to overshoot the mark. They look to uh, really under-promise and over-deliver because then the stock price is reflective of that. But they had such a good quarter, they just had to do it. And kind of what the lesson was is that they had seen an increase in their online sales and foot traffic in their retail locations. Uh, And the reason for that was that they had spent, they not had, they have been spending a lot of time and effort um, improving various aspects of their business. Now, they didn't create any new products or any new services for their customers. And you know that that I spend a lot of time talking about how to leverage the resources in your business to do just that. But what they did is they just simply decided to do a better job of what they already do. So they got a better foot line, uh, footwear line, sorry, Uh, the the footwear that they sell, they got simply just more premium products. They sped up their e-commerce delivery times, and then they increased uh, a better in-store experience for their customers. So believe it or not, sometimes there's just low-hanging fruit in your business. Um, I know that in the things that I'm involved in, a lot of times you can spend a lot of time looking for like the next unchartered uh, sea or ocean to go and grab some market share from. But a lot of times there could just be business or there could be some low hanging fruit right around you that if you picked up, um, you might be able to improve your customer experience and really get an uplift in your revenue and your bottom line just by improving what you already do. And to make it practical for entrepreneurs, um, the, the easiest place to start is to figure out where is their friction for your customers. So in the course of delivering your product or service, right from someone trying to find you on Google, uh, if that's how you generate business, all the way through to putting in an order or asking to purchase your services and then the delivery of your products or your services, along the way, there are points of friction. And so how could you remove that friction? How could your, how could removing the friction through streamlining your process or getting different people involved, how could, how could you do a better job for your customers? Um, and, and you might say, but Dylan, I think we are doing the best job we know how to do. I'm an entrepreneur. I run a business. I know what I'm doing. And I think we're doing, you know, a really good job. Well, that might be the first problem. You have to be able to step back and be honest about your business and, and kind of revisit the pieces of your business that, that appear to be, um, not that strong. And so um, an example I would use, a real life example I would use in, in a business I'm involved in is we've spent a lot of time in what I call kind of top of the funnel work. So um, we've spent a lot of time trying to figure out where our market is. We've spent a lot of time trying to uh, figure out how to get to the people of influence that we need to be talking to. We've spent a lot of time getting very good at putting proposals together and um, doing the work involved to put a pretty good pr- uh, proposal or estimate together for our customers. So we've spent a ton of time at the top of our funnel. But then when you move from the top of the funnel down into the actual service that we provide, um, the pressure has now just moved. And we've realized that there's a lot of work that we can do to communicate better with our clients once they've decided to engage us. There are some things that we're just taking for granted that we think our customers know, but the truth is they don't know, and we could do a much better job of communicating with them. And while we might not be able to draw a straight line from improving communication directly to our bottom line, what we do know is that if the overall experience that our customers are experiencing is better than our competitions, and that means we're going to win more business in the marketplace. And uh, we're very much aware of where our weaknesses are. And so if you're an entrepreneur saying, uh, Dylan, there's no low hanging fruit, we're just so good at everything, um, then I would say, great, then then you don't need to listen to this podcast. You probably, you probably got all of the knowledge at your fingertips 
that you need. But if you're intellectually honest, there's always opportunities to improve. If a company, a public company doing billions of dollars a year, exporting goods, um, is able to figure out how to do it and they have all of the money, resources and talent and skill and experience that they need, I'm sure um, in your business that your business could stand to benefit from some improvement that if you objectively looked at your business, you could probably figure out uh, where to do that. Um, so the article or the blog post was don't overthink, improving your bottom line could be the simple. And the thinking was that uh, if you're able to just take a look at the points of friction in your business, you could probably pick up uh, or you could probably improve the customer experience very easily. And then if you're able to look objectively at your business and look for um, other places that your, your customer could benefit from some changes that you could put in place that you might, when you put it all together, you put, put it all together in, in, the, in the pot that you're going to have a better business um, at the end of it. Um, and then moving right from kind of Dick's Sporting Goods into um, an article that was moving around about Toys R Us because they made a big announcement that since going bankrupt in 2017 that they're reopening again, but they are not reopening the same way that they ended up um, going bankrupt through. And I think this tie, this actually ties into the Dick's Sporting Goods um, movement and actually plays into kind of a bigger narrative that I'm listening to out in the marketplace, which maybe I'll talk about in just a moment. But the idea with Toys R Us, you know, 50,000 square foot warehouses, stacked floor to ceiling with a bunch of toys, and uh, people would walk in, you'd get a good deal on the toys, there was lots of selection, and company went bankrupt. And so what they what they ended up doing is they, they used their history, their brand, their knowledge, their relationships to, in essence, relaunch uh, and by giving customers a new retail experience. So instead of being just this massive warehouse that sells toys, Toys R Us has decided to pivot and rebuild its business, and, and they've termed it a service partner for toy brand manufacturers. So what that means is that when you go into a Toys R Us, um, what will happen is you're going to interact and engage, or you kids, children, will interact and engage with the toys, and Toys R Us is really there to help toy brands bring their product to life uh, inside of a, of a store setting. So unlike the days where you would just look at a box uh, or, you know, a box of Lego or crayons uh, or Play-Doh or LOL dolls uh, or Shopkins, um, I've got five kids, so I know a little bit about these toys, um, but gone are the days where you just go in and look at the box uh, where Toys R Us has now said, no, we want kids to come in. We want them to play with these toys. We want them to interact and engage with them. And in doing that, we become a, you know, we become a, a uh, a brand partner, if you will, instead of just a big box, a big store where people can come and buy the product. And for their online strategy, what they decided to do was outsource to Target the order fulfillment piece. So because they're bankrupt and they were emerging from bankrupt and looking uh, bankruptcy and looking for a way to le leverage their brand that they had and their knowledge and their experience, they decided to offload the technical parts of ordering online. So if you go to ToysRS.com and you put through an order, you'll, you would notice that Target is actually the one that's fulfilling the order. And so now what they've, uh, Toys R Us is making a big bet. You know, they've got, they've laid down some money to expand into these other marketplaces. And, and the idea is that they want to be experiential. So they want to partner with brands. They want people to come in, children, people, consumers to come in, interact and engage with toys. Poof, off they go. So 
again, along the same lines of Dick's Sporting Goods, um, instead of maybe, how would I say this? I would, I would say instead of just thinking that your business is going to do the same thing the same way until the end of time, what if you kind of had to reconsider how your business delivers its service or its products to customers? And not like, I don't know, maybe not in an entirely new way, but um, if you did have to kind of regroup and reconsider how you did it, if you had to say, okay, beginning tomorrow, just as a thought exercise, beginning tomorrow, we can no longer sell our products the same way. We can no longer expect our customers to interact with us the same way. So would your products and your services change? Would the manner in which customers interact with your business need to change? Would the reason customers um, use your business change? Um, if you are looking to grow or you're looking to fix your business, this kind of thinking obviously gives you the opportunity to figure out how to get out of a tough spot or figure out how to find the next growth opportunity in your business. And if, you know, I remember back when I f first started running businesses and reading business books, there was this big kind of movement at the time of, of learning how to cannibalize your own business. So if you've been in a particular business for, I don't know, five years, a decade, some uh, amount of time, and you had to be your own competitor, how would you beat yourself um, and cannibalize your existing business and emerge as a different business? And so I think this is just this article with Toys R Us and with Dick's Sporting Goods um, is kind of the same idea. It's, you know, if you had to be your own worst competitor or best competitor, <laughs> what would that look like? How would you compete with yourself? I recall that um, some time ago, businesses would, would, large businesses would actually pit different divisions against each other. I think was it GE? I think maybe GE and Jack Welch did something like that, where it was kind of a, a leadership philosophy where you would take these different divisions of these companies and you would you would have them compete against each other for the same sale for the same customer and uh, really force kind of that internal cannibalization to happen of a business. And so I think that if you're an entrepreneur, you know, looking for a new challenge in your business or, or something that if you, if you attacked it, would provide a meaningful result. I think that figuring out how to cannibalize your existing business process, your existing customer experience, still deliver the same product or service, but have to do it in a new way, in a better way that, you know, if someone starting a business right beside you would do and they would win, what would that look like? I think it would provide you with some new, some new opportunities. Certainly help you grow your business, would help you fix your business if you were looking for um, a way to you know, kind of turn the business around by imagining uh, what would need to happen by reimagining your business is kind of an interesting thought exercise. And even if you don't do anything with it, so say you've heard this and you go, okay, that, you know, it's kind of a nice thinking, you know, thought piece, Dylan, but I'm not going to like change my business tomorrow. Okay, that's fine. But do you know what you could be working on over the next year or two that would um, uh, make your business better? More importantly, do you know maybe what your competitors, what what would be the obvious thing that your competitors could go and win market share or win customers uh, from your business by doing, um, you know, by executing on strategies or ideas? So at least if, if you're thinking about it, um, it helps you, you know, you might stumble across something uh, pretty interesting. I know in one business that I'm involved in, it actually did open up a different kind of customer for us um, because we had some unutilized time. We had some idle uh, equipment sitting around, and by trying to answer this particular question, you know, what is a what is our company's Achilles heel, and how could we, if we were trying to compete with ourselves, what would we do? And we said, oh, well, there's kind of this 
opening right here. And so we've been working over the last couple of months to fill it in. And, you know, it's not going to add a ton of money to the bottom line in the next couple of months, but certainly over the next couple of years, it's going to be a major contributor to our bottom line. So there you go. Uh, moving right along, um, the next article that I had posted uh, had to do with MEC, Mountain Equipment Co-op. And I guess, I, I, honestly, I was sort of disappointed um, to read this article or to discover that, I don't know, the portrayal of, of MEC. So they, uh, for those of you that don't know, Mountain Equipment Co-op or MEC today uh, supplies outdoor clothing and recreational gear to consumers. Uh, while doing so in an environmentally friendly manner. So a very niche type product, a very niche customers that they serve. But they've been doing it since 1971. I think they have, what here? I think they have dozens of locations uh, across the country. Um, but, you know, the article was kind of very straightforward, very pragmatic about it. It just said, look, costs are rising two and a half times faster than their sales. Well, you don't have to be an expert to know that you can't run a business very long if that's the math. If your costs are two and a half times greater than your sales, and that's a recipe for disaster. And MEC is kind of in the middle of, of figuring that out. But what disappointed me in particular is, is the article sort of just said, yeah, you know, it is what it is. And I got to thinking, you know, if, if an entrepreneur came to me, and they do, but they don't say it with kind of this much, uh, they're not this crass when they say it. But you know, Dylan, my costs are rising two and a half times greater than my revenue. And, you know, it's not that big a deal. You know, we know it's not ideal. We know we want to be profitable. But, you know, what do you think? You know, just the whole general attitude uh, would cause me to say, you know what, you're probably not an entrepreneur that that really wants the help or, or one that I can help. And I got that impression from this article and the way it presented Mech. You know, they talked about having supply chain problems. They got high inventory levels. They complain. You know, the, 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 there seemed to be this hint that uh, online retailers like Amazon were stealing, co you know, competitors from them. But we know in the marketplace right now that that there is fierce competition that Amazon is up against. That they, of course, are the the big player in the market. But other retailers are figuring out how to compete with them, mostly by um, doing something that Amazon cannot do. Um, which is the best way to compete, by the way, which is to marry the online experience with the retail experience. But that's a, that's a different comment. So reading through this article, I was like, wow, you know, sales have slowed down. Doesn't sound like they're doing anything to kind of figure out how to get sales back up. They seem to be complaining about all the problems they have and that there really is no strategy for getting the business back onto solid ground. And so, I don't know, I thought it just was a way for me to bring to the attention of an entrepreneur that maybe feels the same way, maybe doesn't have the same attitude, but feels like, hey, I just can't get my costs under control. Um, my revenue just isn't keeping up with um, uh, with our costs, and I don't know where my money is going. That sometimes it just helps to go back to the basics. What problem does your business solve? Uh, is it doing a great job of solving that problem, or has it got distracted with other uh, kind of other stuff that isn't adding any value to the to the bottom line. It felt to me like Mech was a great way to, you know, a great story to highlight that 
you know, if you've got high inventory levels, it probably means you don't have the right type of product. If you don't have the right type of product, it's probably because you're not really listening to your customers. You're not really paying attention to what they want. And because you've got high levels of inventory and people aren't selling, you know, that inventory isn't selling and your rev, maybe it's because your revenues are dropping. If your revenues are dropping, it's because people aren't paying for what you want. And they're not paying for what you want because they don't see the value in it. And they don't see the value in it because they're not getting the experience that they once were. I mean, it is all kind of related. And it, and while these problems can be hard to solve, they're not impossible to solve, and businesses and entrepreneurs solve them all day long. So in your business, if you feel like your costs are out of control, it helps just to go back to basics and say, hang on a second, what market are we in? What customer are we here to serve? How are we doing comparably to the rest of the marketplace in delivering this particular product or service that customers come to us for? And then just work backwards from there. And, you know, sometimes entrepreneurs, you know, hit the jackpot and they succeed for a few years and the, the general market picks them up and off they go. And so they think they're doing really well. And I think that happened with Mech, but then it gets competitive and there's changes in the market that happens and then cash flow gets tight. And then you start making tougher decisions that, you know, that leads to you trying to get your business back on stable ground again. Um, but oftentimes, um, going back to the basics and trying to figure out where you where you went off track and what you need to do to get back on track um, can be very helpful. And if you're listening to this going, well, yeah, Dylan, that makes like tons of sense. Okay, but a company like Mech um, that has a lot of visibility, they have a lot of responsibility, they're struggling with it. And so if you're an entrepreneur struggling in your business right now, don't, don't beat yourself up but certainly have a different attitude than what, what Mech presents, which is, okay, let me just figure out what we, what we do at a very, very basic level and then work, work up from that point, not, not down to that point. And going back to the basics really can be the difference between um, figuring out how to survive and ultimately fail. Now, I don't know if Mech fails. I mean, I don't know what the end of the story is. Maybe they go into bankruptcy protection or receivership or something like that while they get their house in order. Um, but it just didn't really sound like they had a plan or a strategy that they were just going to keep doing more of the same and hoping for the best. But what was weird was they already knew where the problems were. And if you know where the problems are, you can already start to talk through strategies and options. And so... Anyway, I just I didn't understand it. Big company like that, lots of smart people working for them, and they can't figure it out. And as entrepreneurs running small and medium-sized businesses, you know, you don't need to be ashamed if you're having problems. It's it's tricky business. <laughs> okay, and the last article that I had uh, published here over the last couple of days was about BMW and how thinking ahead can help your business. In this article, I I thought it was great because uh, you know I'm paying attention to this electric car autonomous vehicle thing or thing marketplace change the shift that is happening and as I read this 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 article it was like holy smokes you know these big companies are really taking this market shift very very seriously to the point that BM, BMW made an announcement that they have locked up they signed a contract for 11 billion dollars worth of battery cells so um, they're ultimately going to be using them to start fulfilling their electric um, uh, vehicle lineup, which is going to include, believe it or not, by 2023, so over the next couple of years, 25 different electric vehicles. And they believe that the global market for um, demand is going to increase, which is going to put strain on the components that are going to be needed to meet the demand. And so they're trying to get way, way out in front of it 
by making sure that they've locked up the drivetrains um, and the battery cells so that they can deliver, you know, um, on, on what their business plan calls for, which is being, um, you know, a major, a major car company in what is a changing marketplace right now. And so I had just sort of said um, in the blog post that, that I had done that oftentimes running a business for an, from an entrepreneur's perspective, you're just managing so many different priorities at the same time that it doesn't leave you a lot of time to think about the future and then plan and ultimately adjust for it. But that doesn't mean it's okay. I think that really successful businesses are run by entrepreneurs that, yes, enjoy living in the moment, but I think that they're able to do a very good job of describing or explaining where their business is now, where it's going, and what it is working on to try and reach its goals. Now, that doesn't mean that it, that an entrepreneur regurgitates a business plan with you know section headings and paragraph indents. But I do believe that an entrepreneur should be able to say, you know, kind of here's where we are right now. Our business plan calls for us working on these things today. But ultimately, these things are positioning us for the future because we believe, we believe there's the key, we believe that the future is going to look like this and we want to we want to be there. We want to help form what that future looks like in our marketplace. We want to be a company that lasts through whatever happens in the marketplace. And when a business is led by an entrepreneur that can articulate the business like that, then they are able to adjust as they go, because as we all know, our business plans never go according to plan. They're either over or under <laughs> under where we expect them to be. But successful entrepreneurs will adjust as they go. They won't accept the results um, as they are. They will use those results to understand, okay, but we're going there. So if this is what our results are here, then what do we need to adjust to make sure we get there? And it's cool to take one day at a time, for sure. But you do, it, it, it is helpful to plan for the future because it's a positioning exercise. It positions you for success. If you're thinking about where your business is going, where it is today and what it's doing to get there and where it has come from to get to where it is today, and that's just a constant uh, line of thinking when you're having a coffee or, or driving to and from the office or to and from the job site or wherever it is that your business takes place, if you can think like that, I guarantee you, you will be amazed to see what pops up. Um, you know, even so far, I would say, as even once a month or once a quarter, just taking the time to think through what your business is going to need for the rest of this year, for next year, for the future, and ultimately trying to answer the question, as the entrepreneur, how am I positioning the business for success? Am I figuring out today the kind of people we're going to need tomorrow? Am I figuring out today the resources we're going to have to start building up cash for so that we can purchase, so that we can execute on a business plan? Um, do I have to start understanding some of the changes happening in the marketplace right now so that I know internally what our business needs to be doing to realign our products and services to match what the future demand is going to look like? But when you're when you force yourself to do that, of course, you'll get to where you're going. So if you are... Um, thinking about nothing, that's exactly where you're, get, where you're going to get, which is nowhere. But if you're thinking about the future, you inevitably will end up somewhere close to where you want to be. So the second benefit of looking ahead is that you're going to discover new opportunities as you think through this. And if it becomes a habit that you force yourself to think about all the time, where's our business now? Where is it going? What do we need to do to make sure that we can get there? Um, then you're going to just see things you've never seen before. So for sure, it can be risky to bet on the future and line everything up. But I think it's it's far riskier 
to ignore it and to just live in the moment and manage your business day to day, to have a business plan that isn't reviewed um, and not complicated. These things can be very simple, but to not just have a very simple budget and a business plan that you are constantly checking in on to figure out where you're at. Um, and then as an entrepreneur, really the only decision, the, the only risk that you're taking is which one? Are we risking that we're going in a direction and we're wrong or are we risking that we don't know where we're going and we're just going to take each day as it comes? And I happen to think that if you plan to get somewhere, then that's exactly where you'll get. And if you plan to get nowhere um, or if you fail to plan and, and get nowhere, that that ultimately is where you're going to end up uh, as well. But BMW, again, big company, you know, these companies uh, publicly traded, led by super smart people, all that sort of stuff, doesn't change some very basic business principles. Uh, they see a change coming in the marketplace because they're a big business. Their downside is far greater than yours or mine. And they are already thinking out, just like Ford, the first uh, first um, story that I talked about where they got a bunch of cash in the bank. But as far as they're concerned, they've already spent it over the next couple of years. They've already allocated where it's going and, and how it's going to ensure that their business survives the next recession and continue to thrive and be a market leader. And BMW doing the same thing. They're seeing a change happening in the marketplace. They see it being a growing trend. They see that that's going to put pressure on supplies um, required to build electric and autonomous cars. And so today, They've taken steps to lock up that uh, supply chain to make sure that their business continues to go. And there's no reason that we can't look at our business uh, through that same lens. There's no reason we can't be navel-gazing and looking into the future and going, what do I need to do today to make sure that uh, we're ready for whatever, uh, whatever the future holds? So that's it. It's the end of this episode of News Entrepreneur's Experience. Again, the idea is to try and take headlines moving, finding their way that are moving around in the, in the business marketplace and bring them down to a level that an entrepreneur running a smaller, medium-sized business can relate to. A, to, dis to discover that they're not alone, and B, to realize that even large companies are fundamentally wrestling with the same things that you and I are wrestling with every day. And so I hope that this episode was valuable. I hope that you found uh, something insightful in uh, what was shared. And uh, if there's anything that, that uh, I can be doing to help fix, fund, or grow your business, feel free to reach out to me. Uh, you can review this podcast. You can rate it because when you do that, it gets in front of other entrepreneurs that might be able to benefit from hearing this content. And for those of you that go out of your way uh, to tell me what you think of, of these podcasts and the blog posts. I really do appreciate it. This is an opportunity for me to talk out loud about the things that I'm uh, talking about with entrepreneurs in an attempt to try and help more entrepreneurs. If you've heard my pitch, there's 30 million entrepreneurs in North America. 50% of them will have failed by their fifth year in business. So somewhere right now, there are 15 million entrepreneurs that are either on their way to heading over a cliff or are already over the cliff and they need some help. And so um, if in some small way I can make a dent in those statistics, uh, then this would have all been worth it. And this podcast is one small way in which I look to do that. So thanks for tuning in and please tune in to the next episode.